1: Chase Thomas Podcast the Chase Thomas Podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to
0: record. See, I hate I
1: already hate it. I hate it. Alright, hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast where I'm still the aforementioned Chase Thomas coming to you live from Knoxville, Tennessee. Everything school HQ down there in Tequila, Georgia, my good friend, Philly University of North Georgia alumni, check the hat. Uh, Matt Green, Matt, good evening, sir, how are you?
0: Good evening, sir. I see, I know now that you're a, a Tennessee alum, you're still, you haven't forgotten your roots. You're, uh, you're, you're North Georgia Nighthawk through and through.
1: Absolutely, Nighthawk through and through where both my parents went, Alumni are there. Uh, that's how we met. This podcast does not exist, Matt Green, if I am not a Nighthawk along with yourself.
0: Very true, very true.
1: It's going to be weird when the Nesbitt building is named after uh, the two of us.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what I've always wanted.
1: I Look, The only I, thing I've ever wanted, really. I'm not kidding. I'm getting a name. I'm getting my name on something on that campus. That is, that's the end goal. I don't want to go do any speaking arrangements. Uh, apologies to Dr. Marker uh, about any potential future plans there. Not my deal. But if we want to talk about... No, naming.
0: Man, you gotta give back you gotta give back to the youths. That's how you get a that's how you get a name uh a name on a building right there. You gotta give I'm, something back to the university.
1: I'm just not a speaker like that. I'm not the motivational speaker type. I've You're not a I've,
0: speaker. You gotta you got a podcast.
1: Well hold on. Two different <laughs> You're types a talker.
0: Of you're not you're a talker, you're not a speaker.
1: Yeah, I was gonna say there are a lot of public speakers <laughs> who are not good podcast though. So I, I think those are two different talents. I'm not a public speaker uh motiv- or I should say motivational speaker. That's just not not my DNA. I hear you there. Some people just have it. Like they wake up and you're like, you don't even need coffee or caffeine in the morning. You're just ready to go and conquer the world and tell everyone else that they can do whatever they want to do and follow your dreams and all of that sort of thing. That's just not uh I would be like it's hard. Um it's hard. And uh you have to work really hard and then it Things may work out sometimes. and it may not. Yeah, like it's just not – that I would just be really bad at it. I'd be like, great, thanks, Jace, um, for stopping by. So not really my DNA. Uh, Matt Green, uh, you got the Sikkim shirt on, University of Georgia. Yes, sir. Uh, helmet behind you. You got the flag behind you. You're ready to go. I rocking
0: the new shirt, the Christmas present I received, uh, the, the Jalen Carter. I don't know if you've seen the Jalen Carter bread man shirt. Mm -mm. barstool he's a barstool athlete and so Mm -mm. they uh, released a a shirt of him picking up Jaden Daniels in the SEC championship so uh I thought about rocking it for the pod but that's it's probably my playoff shirt maybe when I want Jalen Carter's final games as a dog hopefully not his last game as a dog
1: um we'll get into Jalen Carter because I have some Jalen Carter ticks too um when we get there but I am curious, do you have any like, do you do you have a uniform that you generally speaking will wear for Georgia games? Do you have like a, a an attire that you prefer or you think is a lucky attire? Are you gonna wear something that you wore during the playoff run last year for the dogs? Are you gonna wear the exact same outfit?
0: I think lots of times I would say I can definitely switch it up. So I don't, it's not like I have to rock something, but um, lots of times I'll rock the red polo for the home games, the gray polo for the road games. Typically what I do, but lots of times I can rock this shirt during a game or like a, another Georgia shirt. It doesn't like it doesn't it doesn't have to be it doesn't have to be the polo. But in the SEC championship last year, I know I wanna say I rocked Yeah, I rocked the red the red polo in the SEC championship when we lost hmm. to Alabama. So in the national championship, I made sure to bust out the gray polo because I had to couldn't be rock. Couldn't rock the same one for the rematch. So I was. I was com- uh, aware of that.
1: Do you already know what's happening on Saturday night? Do you know?
0: Do I know what's happening?
1: Yeah. You. Do you have it laid out? Do you know which way you're going Saturday night?
0: For the shirt. I'm, yeah. That's what I said. I'm probably rocking that bread man. You no, know, not probably. Are you gonna
1: card. do it? Like so. That's what's happening. That's the choice. I think so. Okay. Um. There you go. I don't know what I'm gonna wear for the the game on Friday night. The the re- What many are saying. The the real playoff game between the two almost uh, the orange ball all orange (laughs) all the time many are saying the you can have your playoff
0: give Mm -hmm. me the orange (laughs) ball
1: absolutely Uh, Matt Green um, because we're going to spend a lot of time doing our massive uh, college ball playoff preview semi-final preview on this edition of the podcast uh, not a lot of news that we're going to hit here Um, but there is one thing that I wanted to pick your brain on and it's that Bulls potentially Play, uh, paying players to play in balls might be something that happens in the not too distant future. Maybe even next year, uh, NIL is just an ever evolving space and we, the, the rules are just hard to keep up with. I don't really know how this will all work, but, uh, I, I sent this over to you earlier, uh, in regards to, uh, the Yahoo college football show, uh, with Pat Forty, Dan Wetzel and, uh, Ross Dellinger and Ross was talking about, um, just uh him speaking i think with like the bowl commissioner or I forget who it was specifically um but basically like there's talks about like how i mean obviously you want to fix bowl season and this is something that i think people are missing like you and i are taping this right after oregon unc and uh i've i've said for years on this podcast that joel klatt and uh gus johnson is the best uh duo and that fox nooner it's the best broadcast in college football and has been for a while but right at the end it's uh uh, when uh, Chase Kodak catches that touchdown, the reaction from the Oregon pinch and all that. It's this. every broadcaster, has to, every former player, I think, has to get out. Tell me those guys don't care about bowl games <laughs> or these bowl games. And I'm like, they cannot help themselves. Or I'm like, that is not the conversation. Who doesn't believe that the guys who are playing in those bowl games aren't animated, aren't all bought in, and having a good time and want to win the game? That's not what we're saying. It's not the argument. The argument is... Uh, Both offensive coordinators uh, for these teams (laughs) were not in this game. A lot of people departed. People had to transfer before these bowl games because they have to be enrolled before January to make this next semester. Like no one is having that argument. What we're saying is like it's messed up right now and bowl season is not the same. And you would not be having these conversations and not not be trying to figure out ways to incentivize more of these players to play and not opt out of these bowl games if everything was fine if everything was fine this would not be a discussion point uh on a very good podcast uh to start their show today and i just i thought it was interesting listening to it so i highly encourage everybody to go check uh the yahoo college football show out and uh listen to what those guys are talking about but what did you make of that idea and uh whether or not that will be a big enough draw because basically it's still like what ten to fifteen thousand dollars or something per player if it were to go in, I think is what they said. It, when you break it up, if they got half of what the universities generally speaking will get from playing in a bowl game um, and then splitting it up among the players that many different ways. I forgot what it is um, exactly. I don't know if you remember that, but either way, uh, do you think that is enough to flip a lot of this and fix a lot of what's going on with bowl season the last couple of years?
0: See, no, I don't think that's really the issue because the guys the the reasons for players transferring or for not playing in the bowls are still going to exist. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, you might get an extra 10, $12,000 for playing in the Alamo bowl, but I'm trying to be a first round pick. Like I'm pretty sure I'm going to be a first round pick or like a second round pick. And I'm like, I don't want to do anything to jeopardize that. Like if that's where your mind is, then there's not really an amount of money you can make in a bowl game that's that's gonna compare to the, the money you can make with a, your first NFL contract, or are you getting your second NFL contract? So, I don't, and then the calendar is just what what changes everything, because yeah, if, if we got signing day in February, like, the, the not every single coordinator, like, you're still gonna have some, like, you're still gonna have some guys that like, you know, I need to get a quick uh, head start on this job, or whatever the case may be, like, I don't call the plays here, whatever, you know, whatever. I'm, I'm just going to go ahead and move on. Like, there's still going to be some guys that move on, but it's just – right now, guys don't have a choice but to move on. Like, you mm. can't just wait around at this – be a lame duck at this, old, at this old job. I mean, Luke Fickle coached the freaking bowl game for Wisconsin. Like, I didn't even realize that was going to happen. Cincinnati. So, no, for Wisconsin. Like, Luke Fickle was oh, the I mean, yeah, coach for – Yeah, 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 for, yeah. Yeah, for the, the new team in the bowl mm-hmm. game. So – um, I really I hope we don't get to the point where players are playing in the bowl games, so I don't feel like a coach should be able to coach the bowl games. I don't know that's a little gray area there. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if the, I the other point they made on that podcast too, it's like how everyone is talking about you know these pot these bowls are dying, and I think we were literally having the conversation a couple of days ago that it's just not the same. It's not the same excitement. although the holiday bowl delivered or mm-hmm. as it always does, like I told you um so they're it's not the same as it, as it always was and it's like oh mm-hmm. maybe you put it at the, at the start of the season but the point they made is it gets really good ratings because so many people are off during the holidays you just want to put some football on tv and it, they get really good ratings compared to other things that are on in in december so that's what espn wants that was the networks want they want to get uh ratings so it's not like this huge existential crisis because they're, they're doing fine ratings on the middle of a Tuesday in December. Um, But for, from the fan perspective, like you look at these games and it's just every crowd is like 10% full. It's like, I don't know, like just because it's the auto zone Liberty bowl, it's like, can the auto zone Liberty bowl not be on campus at, at memphis or shoot it's at, it is in memphis isn't it but at the the stadium where who's in the liberty bowl that game was earlier today um can't even come up with two teams out there. kansas and arkansas like mm-hmm. if you put that game at arkansas like eighty thousand people are gonna be there like because it's it's a football game in december it's like that yeah that's what we do our team's playing a game we're gonna show up but hmm. am i gonna drive to memphis for this game that oh maybe we'll go seven and five this year like I don't think fans really care from that perspective, but TV contracts are where the money is. So they don't really care if, if fans show up, which kind of sucks. But I think a lot of these, you could get rid of the the neutral site aspect of these and you can keep, the, keep all your corporate sponsors and everything, but to actually play it on a stadium, I think that would, that would improve. I think a lot of the bowl games.
1: Yeah um well we'll see what then ultimately happens the
0: whole go into a cool vacation or whatever but you know it is what it is
1: well that's the thing the people with the means like going down to miami for tennessee clemson like it's fun it's an excuse yeah. to go on vacation and uh travel with the team and go go do that i saw videos of like family staying at the same hotel as the tennessee football players and, like one kid uh ran over and like dapped up nico <laughs> um as he's walking out with the players and that's a cool moment he'll never forget and um things like that and the players who do go like they're clearly having a good time um that they're getting away and it's been a long season it's kind of like a reward for the guys who want to go and uh if you go to the miami <laughs> but sometimes you're going to boston you're going to the pinstripe bowl in new york you're going to some marriage you're like is this really a something i want to do um we're you're gonna going go to
0: shreveport and, louisiana yeah
1: and you're like is this really a vacation for us and no shots fired there It's just not <laughs> the destination for a lot of these guys so I don't know, like you said, there are a bit, there are other problems with bowl season and this doesn't really address the other ones, but look, if it, this would not hurt things, this would only help, even if it only helps a little bit, I think that's, Hey, at least they're being proactive and trying to fix things a little bit more, right? Like that's all you can really ask because they didn't do this. It's not the bowl commissioner's fault. It's not these bowls fault, um, as to why they're in the position that they're in. Um, but that's just that's just where we're at uh Matt Green.
0: Yeah exactly it's it's uh it's it's a loaded problem there's a few there's a few different reasons why the bowl the bowl's season just kind of feels the way it does these days but I mean you could probably start with just a bowl really being an accomplishment and having mm-hmm. to having to win like eight games or something to make a bowl so I don't know Can I
1: it's, have it is this a hot take I think Fickle coaching the Wisconsin game is horrific you don't like that no this is the like you were coaching another team mid-year like i don't like that that's just weird like it's the same season if we're supposed to believe that this is the end of a season that you put the bow on this particular season that's really really weird yeah
0: that's kind of what i was saying like i don't feel like a player should be able to, to no do
1: that. like unless you open pandora's box for a player exactly. to do this yeah i don't like it um so yeah shame 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 on uh, wisconsin, wisconsin
0: man they they just do weird things yeah. Barry alvarez just came out of retirement to coach the bowl game like we'll yes i'm okay
1: with that when bob stoops does his one timer <laughs> for oklahoma like i'm actually like all in favor of that if you want to bring a guy to retirement for a game just hang out and do this that's and, strange
0: to me like why would you bring a guy who's not even on the staff like the whole mm-hmm. jeff saturday thing like an interim coach that's just not even on the staff like just any coach that's currently on the staff seems like a better option to just coach the current team. Like he knows all the players and everything. Like I don't know. That's just that's so strange to me.
1: Well, if that's the case, then explain to me how the Colts are just thriving under Jeff Saturday, Matt Green. If I didn't is. say
0: it wouldn't work. I'm just saying it oh, seems. Oh no, it's not so working, weird.
1: Matt Green. They've lost five straight. They no, have I have the
0: yeah. that. That shows you how big of an NFL fan I am, right there.
1: Yeah, no, Jeff Saturday's been. Uh, disaster. I do not know my coach. Um, Matt Green. Let me check my notes here. Yes, the college football playoff is happening this weekend, Saturday afternoon to evening. Already informed the wife that Friday and Saturday. It's just, I'm going to be busy. Like, uh, it's not going to be a great date night weekend, Matt Green. We got New Year's Eve with Georgia, Ohio State at eight o'clock and before that you got Michigan TCU at 4 Friday night you got Vols Tigers at 8 p.m. Man, a lot of good football, a lot of big bowl games coming up. And we'll we'll go through those other ones, but who who really cares outside of the Vols and the and the CFP? Who who could really, whomst among us Matt Green, really care uh, outside of those big 3. And many are saying it's the big 3. of uh, <laughs> the weekend, MacGreene. Um but let's start there is I some think.
0: weird New Year's Six matchups. That's by far the best New Year's Six matchup.
1: Yes, I think so. I, I would say so. And there's a lot of good storylines uh, going into this one. So we'll see what happens on that regard, and we'll talk more Vols, Clemson, in a bit. But Matt Green, I think we have to start with semifinal game number two because you are a UGA guy. Everyone knows it. The comment section love it because they're just like Matt Green. Why are we asking the the the, Matt, the UGA Homer uh, to pick apart uh, Tennessee's recruiting class? I don't know. You were getting uh, swords thrown in or arrows thrown in your direction uh, for that.
0: Is that right?
1: Yeah, you were poo pooing. Is uh, who? Where
0: is that on the YouTube comment section? Yeah,
1: on the mm. YouTube one. Just going after Tennessee's hey, recruiting all class. I'm all I'm saying is
0: those the classes that got Dan Wallen fired, finishing like tenth. Fifth, sixth
1: in the SEC. Yeah, that's all I'm saying. Okay. Matt Green. He just, he doesn't, he's not worried. YouTube.com slash Jason uh, West Podcast. Uh, Matt Green, UGA, Ohio State, your team, semifinal, undefeated versus the 11-1 and Ohio State Buckeyes did not appear in the Big Ten title game. They get in following the USC loss in the Pac-12 title game to Utah they moved back in and they have a date with the Bulldogs. I am very very excited to see how this unfolds. Um I've been going back and forth the last couple of weeks trying to figure out which way I'm leaning in this regard. My gut to this point and has maintained is I'm taking the field against Georgia, but I just don't know which one it's going to be. Is it going to be the semifinal? Or is it gonna be the national championship? I don't know which one, but my gut, the last month, just can't be shaken on the on the fifteen and O storyline for the dogs. It's just it's asking a lot in today's Yeah, See, College I don't know Bowl. why
0: you get so hung up on the fifteen and O. It's like at this point at this point they've done the hard part. Like I mean, obviously the playoff is is super difficult, mm-hmm. but it's like this it's making the final four, it's like, you know, the best is gonna whatever come out but it's like the actual running under going the tape running the table and going undefeated like is it's tough like the missouri game it's like that's what that that's why going undefeated is tough because you can just not bring it one day and you know a team is getting up to play the number one team in the country and you just kind of you know for whatever reason don't bring your best game so it's like i think those kind of eggs you might lay along the way or why it's so hard to go undefeated. Like you see the big games, anyone can get up for the big games and play well in the big games. I feel like it's the it's the week in and week out that makes it the struggle.
1: I don't know Matt Green, I differ here because I think you're playing, you're gonna have to beat the number two and number three team in the country in succession. That's to fair. Get through here. Um, so that's just, it's hard. Um, doesn't mean it can't be done, it just means I think it's gonna be very difficult and you can make the case this is the best two year run In college ball history if you're able to pull this off uh, for the dogs if they're able to pull this off Um, where should we start with this matchup Matt Green I I want to start here I have a lot of questions I want to throw in your direction and pick your brain on this and the thing I get back to on this and you mentioned the Missouri game and my question is what if Ohio State gets home against Georgia how does this game go if they're getting home often, and Stetson Bennett is under duress for the majority of this football game, Matt Green.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think if uh, if anyone's getting pressure on the quarterback, that's always gonna that's always gonna pre- like be challenging for an for an offense. But Georgia is also what first in the country in, in sacks allowed. Like, I think Stetson's only been sacked like five, six times the the whole year. So I feel like if there's one thing you you're probably confident of as if you're Georgia, it's that Stetson's probably going to have time to to make some plays, and, I, and part of it is that Stetson also he's he's crafty in the pocket, and he he eludes the pressure, he scrambles around, makes some plays with his legs. So yeah, I mean it's that's definitely what Ohio State's going to going to have to do. I think they're going to have to first and foremost shut down the run and and make Stetson have to beat you. But I mean, there's been a lot of games where where he's done just that this year.
1: How much trouble is Georgia in if they're not able to attack down the field? Because if you remember, I always go back to like that AD Mitchell catch, right? The Stetson bomb where it's like, oh, they they came back to life. We were like, okay, Georgia has life here. Um, and obviously we know what happened after that. I wonder if AD is not great, uh, ready to go um, and he's still a little bit hobbled and there still is just not that downfield threat to take advantage of the ohio state secondary which is littered with four and five stars but they haven't been good so that's the area where georgia can attack the most is the linebackers and the defensive ends for ohio state have been very good this year and the front seven's been very good i mean we've obviously seen multiple uh sack interception touchdowns from this buckeyes team in important moments so the front seven is strong for ohio state where they're not strong is the secondary and i wonder for you like how worried are you of the receivers not taking advantage of this, just uh this Achilles heel for the Ohio State defense?
0: I think um, Georgia will definitely take advantage of that because they haven't played with Ad Mitchell basically all season. Like the mm-hmm. Oregon game is the only game that they got a healthy Ad Mitchell. So this guy's had another month to get healthy, and he and he did play in the LSU game. I mean, he did play a little bit in the last couple games of the season, but. I mean, if he's healthy, that just that sets Georgia's offense off even even better than even better than it's been. And and mm. and like, I mean, McConkie has, has caught plenty of deep balls in in his couple years at Georgia. Like Arian Smith has been a deep ball threat. So I, I don't I don't think Georgia really. I think they can just beat you so many different ways that I don't think their offense really relies on anything. Honestly, like you look at the Tennessee game and the Oregon game, like they didn't really run the ball particularly well. In either of those games and it was the the passing offense that just diced up the other team so hmm. I think Georgia and especially like in terms of big plays like you just dump it off to Brock Bowers you dump it off to Darnell Washington like Georgia can kill you going 10 yards at a time down the field too it's not like they they have to have these big plays like but the fact that Mich- and I feel like Michigan's kind of a, a similar team like that and the fact that they were just gouging Ohio State the way they did like it seemed like they had to do everything to stop the run and uh Michigan was just killing them with the big plays through the passing game. And then by the end of the game, they were just gashing them for 80 yard touchdown runs. So it's, I just look at Michigan. It's, it's hard to really know too much about Ohio state because I, I just feel like this schedule was just so weak. Like
1: mm-hmm.
0: Penn state and, and, and Michigan are really the only teams on the schedule that I respect. Like Notre Dame had it had it was good, but the week one Notre Dame that they played, that that team was awful. Like that's the team that lost to Marshall. Like that was before they made the quarterback change. Like they that team was terrible and, and and Ohio State didn't look particularly great in that one either. But that's that's a long week one, that's a long time ago. So you you look at the the team you've seen most recently is the one against Michigan and Georgia feels like just a better version of Michigan. It feels like Michigan is honestly the team that people kind of pretend Georgia is because Michigan's the team that relies on running the ball. Like if you stop Michigan on the the ground, and we're obviously gonna get to Michigan TCU, if you stop Michigan on the ground, like I don't really know what they can do against you. Like Georgia, if you stop Georgia on the ground, I think Stetson and the, the passing game, I think they can make plays also if you're if you're taking away the pass, I think Georgia's run game is good enough to to carry you too. so I'm just not sure how how Ohio State and and with just those two game sample size of Penn State and Michigan, like they played three top fifty offenses the entire season, and Toledo was one of them so it, it's it's hard and they you know Penn State had some success on offense Michigan obviously has a lot of success on offense so I, it, it's tough to know exactly how good this Ohio State team is, but like the secondary definitely looks like a weakness, especially what you're used to seeing um, from Ohio State, which is first-round pick after first-round pick, it feels like at corner.
1: I like it. Um, last big, broad question for this matchup for you, Matt Green. And I don't think this is as big of an issue now that we know Henderson's not going to play in this game for Ohio State. But they're also just up in the air with their number two in Williams. And we'll see if he plays. He is, I don't think, has been confirmed if he's playing uh, or not. So it looks like it might be a lot of Hayden in this one for the Buckeyes. You might have to rely a lot on him. And he's a—he's not a big dude. And I'm a little nervous if I'm a, if I'm a Buckeye fan about relying a lot on him uh, to uh, run between the tackles and charge through the, the B-gap here uh, against the Dogs and Jalen Carter. But um, what if the buckeyes are able to run on this georgia defense how does that change your uh, your your feelings about how this game will go if that's if you notice that's what's happening in this game
0: i think that's really the only way that ohio state wins this game is if they're able to run the ball like if they're hmm. if they're one dimensional i just don't think there's any chance like as good as cj stroud is like i don't think there's any chance that you know him throwing him throwing the ball like 40, 50 times, like I, I don't think there's any ch- any way that that's a good thing for Ohio State. I think they have to be balanced in order in order to beat Georgia. Like, cause I think I think a lot of people are gonna point to that LSU game and see, you know, Georgia give up 500 yards through the air against LSU, and I, I just I just don't see that at all. Like honestly, I, I don't see that as a blueprint in any way. For Georgia only because they were up 35 to 10 at halftime of that game so it's like obviously it's not over in the third quarter but I mean you got to take it with a grain of salt that Georgia's just sitting back and just not giving up big plays and you know they got a backup in and they threw the ball 50 times like so I think um, like even if you look at CJ Stroud throughout his career like If he attempts the if like I think a lot of a lot was made under like when Jake Fromm was the quarterback at Georgia like when he attempted thirty times like they never won or something like that or some sort of stat like that like if C J Stroud throws the ball forty times like that's not a good thing for Ohio Mm. State you go back to this year and and last year like they. They've, he attempted 40 passes one time this year, and it was the Michigan game, and they lost. And he attempted yeah. 40 passes against Michigan last year, and they lost. He attempted 54 against Oregon last year, and they lost. Like, they did beat uh, Utah in that shootout, but that's that's not a good thing for Ohio State. Like, as good as C.J. Stroud and these playmakers for Ohio State are, even without Jackson Smith and Jigba, it's just – it's Ohio State, and they just have dudes outside. But I, um, I think – it's hard to see without travion henderson it's hard to see ohio state having too much success on the ground i think that's that's going to be how i think this game starts to get away from them is is just that george is going to cause them to be one dimensional i think and it, it's going to be it's going to be all about the passing game and i think if if you just put it in the air enough times like you've seen with this georgia secondary like they're going to get some turnovers like like Ringo I think Ringo's been criticized a lot this year kind of been a little underwhelming I I think maybe a little too much is made of it but he's not he's not necessarily the top 10 top 15 pick that I think people thought he was coming into the year but he's still a, a really good corner and Kamari Laster on the other side is a really good corner and I I'm not sure there's a better safety duo in the country than Chris Smith and Malachi Starks honestly like Malachi Starks is going to be just A future superstar as far as i'm concerned like this guy is a true freshman and he's just a baller so and chris smith means a first team all-american this year so i um it's hard it's hard to see like just them passing 40 50 times and having too much success i think
1: i like it um matt green jalen carter is interesting because i was reading pete thamel's uh piece on espn kind of previewing this game and he said something that i thought was interesting in this one and talking to a coach but uh, he talked to a lot of different coaches, uh, in this one SEC coaches, And he said, quote, "This year Carter inhaled Tennessee's offensive line in Knoxville, forcing two fumbles and a 27-13 route. That kicked off a run that's seen seven tackles for loss in the past five games. Um, that's been the game changer to me. So it's like one of the things that I think people overlook um, about what happened against Tennessee in the Alabama game, Was Will Anderson was not a factor. Dallas Turner was not a factor. And for Tennessee to have a shot in that game, they had to not be factors. Like that was just part of the deal is if Tennessee could not shut down Will Anderson on the edge, the game was over because Hendon Hooker has that quick drop. He's going to get destroyed and they're just not going to be able to have any of the downfield time to do anything, because that was the thing. It's like they were challenging Alabama downfield so much and putting uh, their defensive backs in so many uh, high pressure pressure situations that hey, sometimes they're gonna fold. And the speed speed kills in this league, as you and I know. And it's hard for any defensive back to keep up with Jalen Hyatt running uh, running free like that deep over the middle or uh, down the sideline. And I wonder if you can expect as a Georgia fan for Jalen Carter to be able to be that just world breaker that he was in the tennessee game and what he's been the last five games in both playoff games like what if because the michigan offensive line is probably the best they'll have ever seen this year um when they get there if they do if michigan takes care of business and jordan takes care of business i just wonder um what happens if he has an off game what happens if he's neutralized and he's not a factor because Hey, there have been moments this year where it's like Jalen Carter has not been super dominant and played a bunch of snaps in every single game this year. What if he's not all the way locked in in one of these games? What if he's thinking about the draft um, and being that i one overall pick? Like, there were c- concerns uh, that did pop up, Matt Green on uh, Jalen yeah. Carter. And... I don't know what
0: those concerns were. Um, I think I think it's safe to say Jalen Carter is going to be locked in. Um, and I think in general, like that's why just so many people just undervalued defense and just this the the play at the line of scrimmage like that that doesn't slump because Hmm. if you're a elite receiver elite quarterback or something like sometimes you can just be a little off like you can drop a pass like you're not getting whatever the defense is kind of doing something to take you away like they're you know a running back you're not getting holes or something like you're just an elite monster up front and you're unblockable you're always gonna be unblockable like if you're like if you're healthy like you're the, the defense an offensive line isn't just suddenly gonna be able to block jalen carter you know what i mean like and if same goes for the offensive line like and i think that's why the the trenches the play in the trenches is just so important because that's just the foundation of your entire team And if, and if you can disrupt that you can disrupt an entire team And that's exactly what Jalen Carter is. And I think that's why he's like even a pass rusher like Will Anderson, I feel like at times could be taken out of a game, but Jalen Carter, when you're disrupting the middle of an offensive line, like there's nothing they can do about it. And and Georgia gets, just gets so creative with their defensive line, the way they move them around and will kind of get Jalen Carter matched up one-on-one against somebody. Like it, it seems like they do a lot of different things and, Also blitzing the corners and things like that. Javon Bullard had, I don't know, two or three sacks, I think, in that Tennessee game. So Georgia just does so many different things and I feel like it's just it's hard to ignore how Georgia played in the big games. Hmm. Because if you're if you're looking at like Ohio State, like through the years, you know, you're not measuring Ohio State based on what they did against Purdue, you know, mm-hmm. you're not do, based on what they the the sleepwalking they did against Maryland or something. You're basing it on the Michigan game. And when they when they when they would play Michigan, they get up and you're seeing the best version of them in the Big Ten Championship, you're seeing the best version of them. And when you see Georgia play this year versus Oregon versus there's five teams that are currently ranked, but just the Oregon game was a huge like, just atmosphere of a game, you know? The Tennessee game, like, there hasn't been a bigger game in the history of Sanford Stadium in terms of just atmosphere and anticipation. Like, just all the big games Georgia's played this year in the SEC Championship, like, that's when you've seen them look the best, honestly. The offense has been clicking, the defense has just been just swallowing the opponent. Like, it's a... I think that's the games you got to measure. I'm not looking at Kentucky when it was windy and cold and they scored 16 points or the Missouri game where they kind of slept walked on the road. It's like, this is going to be, no weather is going to involved in this. Like this is going to be the big game atmosphere. And and at this point, Georgia's got the big game experience. That's Stetson Bennett's got the big game experience. Like, I don't know. It's hard to see, it's hard to see uh, them just stopping this Georgia offense. I think that's what, that's what gets lost, I think, a lot of times when when people talk about Georgia. Because as far as I'm concerned, in this game of the four units on the on the field, three of them are elite, and it's it's Ohio State's offense, it's Georgia's offense, and Georgia's defense. Like Ohio State's defense just isn't at the same level, as far as I'm concerned, as Georgia. And Georgia's averaging forty points a game. Like the way they. And Tennessee was just such a good, just such a dynamic number one offense in the country this year. And the way Georgia played against that offense, like they're obviously not the same as CJ, what CJ Stroud and, and Ohio State are, but man, it's it's hard to see, like, I don't know. It's hard to see Ohio State stopping this Georgia defense. Like I like I was like I was saying earlier, they they Ohio State has faced three top fifty offenses this year in Michigan, uh Penn State and Toledo, Georgia's faced six top 50 offenses. Mm -hmm. Ohio State gave up 32 points a game in those three games. Georgia gave up 15 points a game, won all of those games, or on an average, they won those games by over three touchdowns, beat Oregon by like 40-something points. So I I just don't think Ohio State's going to have an answer for for Georgia offensively. I I think if this game is competitive, there's no chance Georgia is held under 40. And I think the only chance they're under thirty is it's if it's kind of like or if it's kind of like every other Georgia game they play, like where maybe they jump up, out twenty-one zero in the in the second quarter, and then it's and they're kind of taking their foot off the gas. I'm not saying it's going to be that big of a blowout, but I think that's the only way I don't see Georgia putting up huge points because I think if Georgia's offense is needing to score, they're going to continue to score on this offense. Like I just I have not been that impressed with with what Ohio State. Uh, what what I've seen from Ohio State's defense, but you know another part of it is just like I said, the small sample size. Like it, the Big Ten is ultimately why I just have, I I struggle to to have a feeling about either of these games because mm-hmm. this is just the worst the Big Ten I think has been in a long time, and I don't know if it's just a couple of good teams. If these are actually two of the best teams in the country or mm-hmm. if they're just two te- two the two best teams in a bad Big 10 because I mean you look at like like eight of like the bottom like 30 offenses in the country are in the Big 10. Like there's a, just a lot of bad offenses and maybe there's a lot of good defenses, but I watched Iowa play. I watched Wisconsin play for most of the year. I watched, you know, Nebraska play for most of the year and there there wasn't good offense being played. So it's uh Michigan State too. It's like I don't know. I just I struggle with what I saw out of the Big Ten this year. I struggle to think that that Ohio State can keep up with Georgia, on on both sides of the ball. Honestly.
1: So I think I know where you're leaning. uh, In your I think I've made it obvious
0: at this point. But
1: um. Well, hold on. Before you even say it. Before you even say it. A couple of things. UGA is. I was doing some other deep dives. Something that I thought was interesting. Georgia is 33rd in 10 plus yards per play. Uh, per BCF toys. I love going through BCF toys' stats here. Ohio State is number one at this. Number one at the most ten plus yards per play, uh, plays that end up being ten plus yards. Anyone in the country, they're number one. I think this might decide the game. Like if Ohio State is able to keep doing that sort of thing, where they are beating Georgia over the top, and they are getting those receivers are getting separation against these Georgia defensive backs, and Malachi Starks looks like a freshman, and they are able to beat them over the top and kind of kind of shake them a little bit kind of like what Tennessee did last year in that first quarter where they're able to just do some stuff early that kind of resets how Georgia's playing and they play from behind a little bit then we're looking at a different situation I think because again this defense is still a top five defense probably top three defense in the country but they are not what they were last year and you just wonder if there is even a little bit of hope for a Buckeye fan about winning this game it's that look, you still probably have, I mean, not even probably, I think you have the best receiver in this game Marvin Harrison Jr. And you wonder, okay, even without Jackson Smith and Jigba, our three wideouts are going to put more pressure on Georgia than anyone else. Because also with the Tennessee game, it was cold and rainy, and the conditions changed how both sides played, especially in the second half. Um, that's not but gonna it, it only count.
0: started raining like the second half like, well i'm saying it was, jordan what, and opened it up and tennessee
1: was struggling through the air after that point like it was it did not help things uh with the downfield assault and the route running and the physicality and everything else um getting the ball out like it's going to be a clean clean evening uh here for both sides of the Uh, the team which I think will actually help Ohio State that this is not going to be in the elements type of game and that this is going to be that
0: game against Michigan was like the nicest weather for Ohio State Michigan game like ever like it was like
1: 70 degrees
0: like perfect
1: true and that game was decided by what the big big plays by Michigan that just completely caught Ohio State by off guard in the second half like they didn't see that coming just big play after big play quickly and it was just they were dead before they even knew it Georgia doesn't really play like that. We haven't really seen that as much this year. And if Ohio State does that to Georgia, what happens? So I guess that is my question is like. If Ohio
0: State does what to Georgia?
1: The 10 plus yard big plays where Georgia Mm. gives up four or five just humongous plays. Maybe three of them are touchdowns. Like Marvin Harrison Jr. beats him twice over the top um, or Hayden on a, a, a screen or out in the flats and he breaks one for 40 to 50. Like, what does that change for you?
0: Well, yeah, I think I mean that's definitely something. That's what Ohio State's gonna have to do. But this Georgia team just been so good at limiting the big plays. Really, mm-hmm. it's like the the Kent State and the Missouri are like two of the the games I can think of of like big plays being uh, uh, pulled on Georgia. And also like Malachi Starks, both against Florida and LSU, had a one where he tried to jump the route that ended up going for like eighty yards. So it's like the, the, there were, have been a couple plays here and there. But it's like those were also. It's hard to ignore that both of those were in the third quarter up about four touchdowns when they happened. So maybe the guy felt like he could take a gamble with a, with a blowout at that point in the game. But um, I think that's, I just think that Georgia's got so many different ways t- to beat teams. I think, hmm. I think Keeley Ringo versus Marvin Harrison jr. I don't think Georgia typically uh, like has a corner, like follow a guy. I think they typically just keep, keep him on their own side of the field, but Keily Ringo, versus, he can learn a lot of money. I think in this game with the way kind of people have been a little down on him that he's he's been exposed a little bit. Um there he has given up a few big catches this season, but um this is like a this is a heavyweight matchup right here. And you got you, you got to know he's going to bring his his A game playing, you know, probably the best receiver in college football. I know Jalen Hyatt won the award, but uh I'd probably take Marvin Harrison Jr. over any over any receiver in college football right now.
1: Um, Another thing that I thought was interesting, Ohio State is number one in points per drive when starting with the short field. Georgia is number 21 as a reference. So, like, that's something else to consider. Is Georgia not giving Ohio State short fields because Ohio State, with good field position, is the most deadly team in college football, Green.
0: Yeah, without a doubt. I think that's one of the ways that Ohio State wins is some of the games this year where Georgia's been a little sloppy and turned the ball over. Like, that's... That's when you've seen the worst version of Georgia for sure. So I, uh, if they're turning the ball over, anything can happen when you're, when you're turning it over. Like that, that Penn State game. Like Penn State was playing with Ohio State in that game, but four turnovers. It was four to zero, I think, in the, in the turnover margin in that game. And, and that's definitely the reason Ohio State won. So, yeah, if you're turning the ball over, I think that's, I think that's really the only way, personally, I see Ohio State winning is if they, they win the turnover battle.
1: Last thing, and we'll do our predictions. Buckeyes are number one in the country in net yards per play. Number two is Michigan. Number three is Georgia. Like I've said all season long, healthy Tennessee uh, is number four, I think, of the fourth best team in the country. And I think number three is Ohio State. Number two, Michigan. And number one, Georgia. Um, man, I, I just, I'm so fascinated to see how this goes because. I think this is gonna be a lot more high scoring and I think this is probably gonna be a little bit closer uh, than people maybe are anticipating on uh, the Georgia side of of things. But we shall see. It is time, Matt Green, for our actual picks in this one. So how what is your official semifinal yeah, let me, game? Let mm-hmm. me give
0: you uh let me give you a couple more stats before I I'm jump ready. into the pick. But um in terms of like trying to figure out like based on like the opponent they're playing. I think this was from a uh, college football nerds uh, mm-hmm. where I got this stat. The percentage of opponents yards allowed, um, Ohio State has allowed 89% of the rushing total. Like essentially, if you're averaging 100 yards a game, they're giving up 89 mm-hmm. uh, to, to that opponent. So they're averaging, giving up 89% of a, opponents average on the ground and 100% of opponents average through the air. Whereas Georgia is giving up, two better offenses also georgia is giving up on average 70 percent of teams rushing production and 85 percent of passing production so they've they've played better offenses and they're also holding those teams to to worse production than ohio state is and on the season georgia opponents are averaging 31.7 points per game and against everyone else and and scoring 12.8 versus georgia whereas ohio state's opponents are averaging 26.9, which is almost a full touchdown less than Georgia's opponents, and giving up 19.3, which almost which is almost a whole touchdown more than Georgia's giving up. So with that said, those are the last two stats I'll give you. I just don't see, one stat I also saw, I think earlier this week, was Ohio State's like number one, I don't know if it was efficiency or like total yards given up to running backs and tight ends this year, Like that, that like they were the best in the country at that. And I feel like Georgia's that, just at the point where I just saw that stat and I kind, of, I kind of shrugged it off. It's like, well, they haven't faced a tight end like Brock Bowers or Darnell Washington this year. So I'm not really concerned about that because no team has a Darnell Washington or a Brock Bowers. So I just think those two are just going to be so hard to stop. And I, don't, I think Georgia's going to stay balanced with their three-headed monster in the backfield. So... I see this being a close game, but I think Georgia ultimately wins it by multiple scores. So I'm gonna go Mm. 34, 17, Georgia wins this one.
1: Okay, Matt Green, I like it. Um, Matt Green, you're gonna be surprised by my number here. You're gonna be surprised. I'm going Georgia, 42, Ohio State, 17. Mm. I think this gets bad. The one and two against Michigan for Ryan Day, not not a good look. It's a rare, rare thing to start off your Ohio State football coaching career uh with a losing record for the first three times. Uh Cooper was the last time uh this was the case. I'm not feeling it. I don't think Ryan Day's the guy. I, I don't see the Ooh. I don't see the urban magic coming here. I don't see Ryan Day and this group running the gauntlet. Uh in the uh, in the college football playoff, and I think they unravel a little bit here. I think Georgia blows the doors off them, and um, I I, do, I don't like CJ Stroud playing from behind. I'm kind of, I'm terrified to see what he looks like when Jalen Carter is breaking through and really uh, putting him under duress. Um, maybe this is a little bit different if Jackson Smith and Jig was playing, and there's multiple proven guys um, to put more and more pressure on this Georgia secondary. I just don't see it um they're a finesse wide receiver group um and we saw kind of like tennessee i mean they got out physicaled by that georgia secondary and i suspect they're going to let them play and they're going to be physical with this ohio state uh receiving court just like they were against tennessee and tennessee just couldn't get open um, they couldn't uh, you saw a keely ringo running with cedric tillman and just perfect coverage it's like i mean yeah they're all over you but like you got to do something like that's part of this game is you're going to have to find a counter to this And they never did. And I just don't think Ohio State's going to find a counter either. So I am going to go 42-17 Buckeyes getting blown out by the dogs here. And it's going to be – I think it's going to feel kind of like a home game. I think Georgia fans are going to be out in full force for this one too.
0: I'm curious to see the attendance numbers because I think Ohio State fans will travel well. I think they'll be well represented. I think it'll be a much better ratio than – than at LSU or Oregon games were mm. this year. Georgia's third game in Mercedes-Benz Stadium, but but yeah, Georgia's ability to stop the run with and and just always kind of keeping two deep safeties is just it, it's hard to beat if your if your defensive line is that good. So um, last one I'll give you. Mm-hmm. Ohio State's played three ranked to put three teams that are currently ranked this year outscored them eighty by a total of eighty eight to eighty six. Uh, Georgia's played five currently ranked opponents, outscored them 219 to 72. Hmm. So uh, those two things are a little bit different. So I just think this Georgia team is just they're explosive and they're going to be hard for Ohio State to beat. I think that 2014 Alabama, that's the only time Ohio State has ever beaten the SEC champion. They don't necessarily have a great track record against SEC teams in the postseason but we are both taking Georgia to win and cover and our, our first game on the 31st Michigan and TCU and Georgia's a six and a half point favorite by mm-hmm. the way. And Michigan is a seven and a half point favorite in this one. How do you see this one going, sir? Hit me. Where do you want to start?
1: My first question to you, what if Max Duggan struggles, Mac Green, is there a path to TCU winning? If Max Duggan is not the best player on the field on uh, on Saturday afternoon.
0: Um short answer no. Max mm. Duggan has definitely got a got a ball out. But I think this running game doesn't necessarily get the credit it deserves. Like mm. I think um why am I blanking on his name? Kendrick. Miller. Kendra Miller. Mm. Miller? Mm. Um this guy's a baller. Thirteen over thirteen hundred yards, seventeen touchdowns. He's a workhorse. And uh Demarcado, uh their second running back, and obviously um Duggan, his contributions to the running game i it's just so hard to compare to any team michigan's faced all season like this is definitely the best offense they've faced other than um ohio state but it's just such a different offense like they're way more balanced like they're just i don't know max duggan's just way more dynamic like as as good as cj stroud is you're just not worried about him taking off and running I um I think people are, but Michigan's got the number one uh, or number three uh, run D in the in all of college football. So I think I think TCU has to stay balanced in order to win. Like if it's all on Max Duggan, passing, I don't I don't think there's a way they can win. I think they have to they have to stay balanced.
1: I agree, um, and I think there is a path for Max Duggan to kind of struggle here for a lot a long while, and then TCU still have a chance in this one. Um, my question to you, what if Michigan dominates with their offensive line and running game? Is there a path to a TCU victory?
0: I mean, I think it's always, that's obviously the way Michigan wants to play. Like that. that's the way, that's what has to happen for Michigan to win, honestly. Like if Michigan's not running the ball well, like they're not going to win, in my opinion. Like if this is on JJ McCarthy, like they're not going to win. So I think for, for starters, they have to run the ball well, but I, I think they probably will because that's what they do. Um, so if, if if you know if they're taking the clock out of the game, having these like kind of longer drives, that's obviously what they need to do to to neutralize TCU's uh, offense. But I feel like there's still a chance that TCU, like that's just Michigan's method of scoring, and there's a chance that TCU can can come right back and, and they're if if they're not getting slowed down on on their side, so. I think there is. I think TCU can still win this game if Michigan is is able to run the ball because it's hard to. I mean, it's hard to like game plan for stopping this this dominant run attack. The one thing I wonder about is like Donovan Edwards has not been the the workhorse back all year, so he's had his fair share of injuries. Obviously, was the backup last, third string last year, a good third stringer last year that contributed, but. He's been the backup all year, missed a few games uh, in, like, September, October. And with Coram out, it's all on Donovan Edwards. So, like, if Donovan Edwards gets dinged up in this one, like, does Michigan still have a running game after that? Like, I think if so much is going to be put on his plate and Michigan's going to have to run to win, like, can Donovan Edwards carry it 30 times and, and carry the load like that? He hadn't really had to do that many times this season.
1: That's fair. Um, last broad question for you. Michigan has never played a 3-3-5 that TCU throws at him. Do you think that ultimately matters that they've not seen this kind of schematic uh defense before?
0: I mean, it's hard to say. I'm not necessarily the the scheme guy over here, you know, but with with what TCU does defensively, like they're they're not they're not a great defense, right? But they're, they're not bad at all. Like you look at who they faced this year, like kind of go back to that, that stat I was saying with Georgia and Ohio state, because Michigan's faced a lot of the same opponents. Michigan's faced three top 50 offenses this year. TCU's faced nine. So, and I don't think like a few years back, like the big 12 just played zero defense. Like Mm. that's not really been the case in recent years. Like the big 12 has been solid defense. And, I mean, you can just kind of also just look with your eyes, like the way teams are tackling, you know, where they are playing, like no one's playing any defense. Like that hasn't been what the big 12 has been this year. So they've had a lot of like top 20, 30 offenses in this conference. Like basically the entire conference, if nine opponents they've played are in the top 50 uh, in total offense. Like I think that kind of skews TCU's off uh, defensive production compared to Michigan's. So it's it, it's tough to say, um, but I, I mean, the way they played against Texas, like that's one of the more explosive, uh, offenses they played this year and, and they, they shut them down, held the offense to to three points.
1: Yeah. Um, the thing about TCU that I struggle with in this game is just that, you know, what's weird is I think this game will be closer, but I think Ohio state has a better chance of winning, uh, than TCU. And what I mean by that is like, I think if you play Georgia, Ohio State hundred times. Ohio State probably gets a crazy way of winning twenty. I I won't say twenty, like twelve times, where it's like they blitz him and they they get uh they block well for Stroud and he has time and he dices the secondary. Like you'd see that twelve times out of a hundred scenario like that. The way TCU has to beat Michigan, where I just go through everything, where I'm like, I think if you play this game hundred times, Michigan wins ninety eight. I think Michigan mm. wins this game ninety eight times. Michigan is just not considered elite and everything. When they are, I don't know what they need to do. Like TCU is 70th in sacks forced. So if you're worried about JJ McCarthy running for his life or having to do too much, it's like it's not how TCU plays in the 3-3-5. Like they're a bend don't break um, defense, and they're like we're not. You're not going to get the big play against us. They didn't allow Texas to have any big plays um, when they were on the road in Austin. Michigan's like fine. We're just going to run it down your throats, and we're going to bet on our offensive line out physicaling you and just burying you because if you're not going to put pressure on JJ or one inexperienced guy in this moment who is a five-star with all the talent in the world fine like we are more than fine playing that style the three to four yard gain after three to four yard gain we're better at it than Texas was and Texas was obviously close in that game but like I don't see a scenario where they're going to be able to throw them off their game in that way I think there is no path to Michigan not dominating in the trenches in this one and i just i struggle to find a way for tcu to win when they're not going to put pressure on jj mccarthy they're not going to make jj mccarthy you have to beat him like michigan is elite on both sides of the ball i mentioned the scoring they in yards per play they're number two in net yards per play and we talk about this offense like it's just all run 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 whatever you want to say about it it's extremely efficient and extremely successful and they know exactly who they are. The identity is yeah. so strong there that I just I don't see them being knocked off their game. They're number one in defense uh, in not allowing 10-plus yard plays. The big plays for TCU I don't think are coming in this one. Michigan doesn't allow anybody to do that. They didn't allow Ohio State to come back in that game uh, with any big plays to match what Michigan was doing. Um, they're number three in coverage uh, per PFF. They're number three in rush defense in, per PFF. I just go up and down the list. I was just coming stat after stat, and I'm just like, I don't see a path for TCU, and TCU's a good team. I just don't think they belong in the same field. Uh, I think this is going to be a physical domination kind of like TCU, or Tennessee, Georgia, where the score might be 27-13, but I think it feels like, oh, my God, TCU never really had a chance in this one. You had to watch the 60 minutes to see the physical domination that Michigan did to TCU that's my feeling
0: see that's where I disagree because Mm. I think I think this TCU team is a good team like you look at the Kansas State performance and they obviously did beat Kansas State once but the Kansas State performance has to worry you because they're like at least kind of a similar like template to what Michigan wants to do and they were able to run basically all over TCU Mm. in that game so if Kansas State can run on TCU, then it's hard to see them shutting Michigan down. I just i I feel like I'm uh, I'm buying Max Duggan. I'm buying that he's going to make some plays. That he's gonna like just run around and and make plays. And Kendra Miller on the ground is gonna make plays. And and Johnston like he's a one on one nightmare on the outside. Quentin Johnston. So it's a uh, I I tend to think – I almost called call TCU to pull the upset, to be honest. Like, I, I just – I really like this TCU team. Michigan is a lot like Georgia last year, honestly. Like, offensively, they they feel just like Georgia where it's – I mean, this running game, I think, has been much more dominant than Georgia's was a year ago, but maybe more like 2017 Georgia with Chubb and Michelle. But it's it's definitely run first. So mm. – and the, the the quarterback's more managing the game and he's kind of, you know, he makes some plays when he needs to, but ultimately the the ground game is is what has to do it, but people act like that running the ball isn't a part of offense. Like having a good offense doesn't mean you have a good passing offense. It means you move the ball and you score points, and however you do that is how you play offense. And they're an elite running game and a and when they need to be a really good passing game. So I don't think they're going to get enough stops to beat Michigan, but I'm going to take TCU to cover. So I, I feel this is going to be like a 34 to 30 type game. Like I I see it being like pretty close. Cause I really don't think the ultimate thing it comes down to me is the big 10. Like, I just don't know what we were watching all season in the big 10. Like, mm. were we seeing really good football and with the big 12, it's like, was that a lot of mediocre teams or is that a lot of, Good teams that were beating beating each other because every they play a round robin schedule and everyone has to play everyone. So it's it's hard to know exactly what we're getting coming out of different conferences. That's what makes this college football postseason so great. Sometimes, sometimes, sometimes they screw it up really bad. But I just I, I've liked this TCU team all year. It's hard to pick them to win, but give me a, give me TCU to cover, but ultimately Michigan to win.
1: Did you have a score? Yeah, so I don't think this gets I don't think TC if TCU gets to the thirties, I think they're winning. Like that's the thing. It's like if you grab a thirty-three thirty situation, that tells me TCU's gonna win. Um I think this is gonna be twenty seven twenty seven thirteen Michigan.
0: So you're going exactly the same as uh, as Georgia, Tennessee.
1: I do. I'm I'm gonna stick with that. I think this is Somewhere around there. They won by two scores, but it's low scoring. I think this well, is a honestly, really rough way. And you mentioned, I love that you said that they feel like Georgia. You're gonna love my national championship pick, Matt Green, because this the, Michigan team does feel a lot like Georgia a year ago.
0: The the problem is the defense, like the the production is great. And there there was the same talk about Georgia last year. It's like who are the great offenses they've played. So it's it is similar from that respect, but And I don't know how many first rounders this Michigan team is going to put in the league, but that also adds to it of just like the, the star quality that that Georgia defense had in 2021. It's just, I don't know. It's hard to see Michigan being that good productive production wise. It's, it's pretty damn similar.
1: Yeah. Um, But we'll see what ultimately happens here. Matt green. Um, I think if
0: it was TCU, Georgia, I think that just wouldn't feel as good in the national championship. As good as this TCU team has been, I think people would talk about the ratings and it being terrible or whatever, but because everyone hates when it's the same teams, but then they also get mad when it's someone different. So I, I, you know what I mean? It's like the the Astros and some random, who'd they play a few years ago? It just wasn't a very sexy World Series, but I don't know, the Royals or Mets or something, But Georgia-Michigan, is a that's a sexy brand name matchup.
1: Yeah. I also will say if Ohio State upsets Georgia, or I guess because TCU will go first, if TCU wins, I'm pulling hard as hell for Ohio State because of the reasons you just outlined. And also, I just don't think Georgia-TCU is a good game. I think Georgia just obliterates TCU. But if we get so if T-
0: TCU wins, you're rooting for Ohio State? Is that what yeah, you're Yeah, because
1: I would love TCU-Ohio State because I think that actually mm. could go either way. A national title between those two could go either way
0: who knows we shall see
1: um matt green where are we going next in bowl season
0: all right so let's start off on the 29th the bad boy mowers <laughs> pinstripe bowl in yankee stadium we got syracuse and minnesota golden gophers are an 11 point favorite in this one how do you see it going
1: what happened to Syracuse, Matt Green? Like they were just—you were all in. Uh, they should. You were like they got robbed at Clemson. They
0: did get robbed.
1: Seven, they never recovered five. from it. I thought they finished six and six. When I saw, this, I was like, I thought they just won their first six and then lost their last six uh, because that's how their season felt, right? Um, yeah. Just all the all the bright lights in the beginning: Garrett Schrader and company, Sean Tucker. And then they just com- the offense just completely stalled. And Robert and I is gone; he's now the OC at uh, NC State. Um, Tanner Morgan uh, will be back next year as well, eight and four. Um, this Gopher defense is. Been- Are you
0: being serious? Is Tanner Morgan really back next year?
1: He is back next year. How many years has this man been in college? <laughs> Unless I'm mistaken, I'm pretty certain Tanner Morgan's back next year. I think he's got uh, one more the COVID year. Who knows? I'm pretty because you got basically seven years. Yeah, he's 23. Yeah, he's back next year. Wow. Yeah, Tanner Morgan's not going anywhere. Death tax is no... My man's getting his doctorate uh, in gopher land. Um, I don't like this matchup at all for Syracuse. Give me the gophers and that elite defense. The offense has struggled all year long, but I believe in that gopher defense. Top 10 defense all year. Give me the gophers to win and cover.
0: This is New York's college team, sir. Mm-hmm. Are you not aware of that? Syracuse Orange being played in Yankee Stadium? Mm-hmm. I'm also going to take the Golden Gophers, but give me Syracuse to cover. 11-point spread. It's a little high. A little high for my liking. Mm. Um, Keeping it moving on the 29th, we got the Cheez-It Bowl in Orlando. Oklahoma and Florida State. Sexy brand name matchup. Mm -hmm. Uh, Rematch of the the 2000 Orange Bowl uh, for the national title. Oklahoma's last national championship. Um, Florida State is a nine and a half point favorite in this one. Obviously, Geography in their favor, playing Orlando. Uh, How do you see this one going?
1: I think this could get ugly for Oklahoma, Matt Green. Florida State's won five straight. Number one in the portal, killing it in the transfer portal. Um, Jordan Travis has just been electric all year long. They got to number 13 in the final CFP rankings. Um, guess what though? This is something I really like. Guess how many opt-outs Florida State has in this game? I'm gonna say zero. Zero opt-outs, mm. Mac Green. This is a stat we gotta keep track of. I want someone to do this. That's their job on Twitter. It's just the, the opt-out tracker for each team. They got zero for this one, Mac Green. Give me the Knolls to win and win big. Uh, Oklahoma rebounded in recruiting. And all that good stuff for this class, but I don't, I don't think it matters in this one. Give me, give me the Knolls to finish on a six-game win streak and pick up right where they left off when they decimated a rough Florida team um, at home of the Duke.
0: All right, put it on the board. Florida State win and cover. Oklahoma has not had a losing season since 1998. Florida State has not won a bowl game since 2017. Both Something of Something has to give. Both of those streaks. No, nothing has to give. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah. You're right. Wait. <laughs> no, you're right. Both of those. No, no. You confused me. Nothing, <laughs> don't, those don't have to give because both of those can happen, and both of those are going to happen. You confused mm-hmm. me. Florida State is going to win, and Oklahoma is going to have their first losing season since 98. So, Put on the board. Confusing my stats over here, uh, but there you go. There's the Cheez It Bowl. Um, keeping it moving. The Valero Alamo Bowl. Oh, I forgot to update our scores, but I can mm. do that when we're when we're done here. But the Alamo Bowl. We got Texas and Washington. Texas is a three-point favorite in this one. Washington's won six straight coming into this game. Obviously, you know I like bowl game geography. Mm-hmm. Advantage goes to Texas there. But I just think Washington's going to be the more motivated team. So um, give me Washington to win outright.
1: Man, we're on the same page here. You know I love Michael Penix Jr. in that offense. Number one passing offense in college football this year. uh, 10-win season. Great season for Kalen DeBoer. This defense, I mean, this is, uh, I think Texas defensive coordinator was the D.C., um, either for jimmy lake or for chris peterson or some he had some kind of maybe he was with sark no he's with sark as dc with uw when sark was at uw years ago so there's a uw connection there because obviously sark was uh the guy who kind of got uw revitalized before chris peterson um just kind of solidified everything and got them to the college football playoff but um this will be an interesting matchup another sexy brand matchup uh between these two teams but uh B. John robinson opted out of, for this one and Roshan Johnson, the two main usage guys uh, in the backfield. So it's gonna be um, Jonathan Brooks, who has a usage rate of 6% this year, and Keelan Robinson, who has a usage rate of 4%. Um, a lot of Xavier Worthy and Jordan Winnington uh, will be needed to uh, win this game, but I just don't see it, Matt Green. I, I I'm really surprised to see that Texas favored by three and a half for this one. Um, for that to be the case, I think Quinn Ewers has to have a really, really good day because he's not going to have the running game uh, to fall back on, which has been the heart and soul of this Texas team this year. I don't see it. Um, give, me the, give me the Huskies to win, in and, uh, win outright.
0: All right, we agree again. Um, keeping it moving on the 30th, the Dukes-Mayo Bowl in Charlotte. We got Maryland and NC State in this one. Wolfpack is a one-point favorite. How do you see this one going?
1: Are we getting a Devin Leary appearance like uh, Grayson McCall where he played for the, the Chanticleers even though he was in the not portal? Not that I
0: know of, but who knows?
1: <laughs> um, how weird was that, by the way? And then, of course, he gets hurt where you're like, oh, God, you, of course you get hurt for doing this thing, trying to be a good teammate and all this stuff. And then he gets hurt anyway, and you're like, well, that's not that just the worst possible scenario um and this is why all these guys uh rightfully don't play and you're like well th- that's a rough rough shot for bowl season um for Grayson mccall to get hurt uh in that one um this is just i think this is a toss-up because i think both offenses are just like we'll see which defense really shows up for this one um maryland's defense has just been a sieve for years uh, with mike loxley and company Um, I think they'll be able to score on NC state, but I think I really, really love this NC state defense and um, Devin Leary, no Devin Leary, MJ Morris has kind of solidified his spot. He's going to be the starter going into next year, kind of a Joe Milton spot for him where he gets uh, that last audition before the off season uh, for the Wolfpack. Um, I think they're gonna be fine uh, with uh, Robert and I coming in there and Tim Beck moving on to coastal. And I think they get a nice little jump start there. People doubt, the Wolf Pack. I just uh give me I'm I'm trusting Dave Doran over Mike Loxley here. So give me give me the Wolf Pack.
0: The Wolf Pack my team coming into the year. Uh this is your classic ACC matchup right here. Mm-hmm. Maryland NC State. Um I just think there's too much uncertainty for NC State. So give me Maryland to uh to win this one. Keeping it moving. Tony the Tiger Sun Bowl, El Paso, Texas. We got Pittsburgh and UCLA. UCLA is a five-and-a-half point favorite in this one. How do you see it going?
1: Nick Patti is playing quarterback for uh, the Pitt Panthers in this one, Matt Green. I watched Mr. Patty. Uh, I don't know if you recall what happened in the Tennessee Pitt game.
0: From... Oh, do I recall what happened? This guy gave his heart and soul for the <laughs> Pitt Panthers in that game. It was rough. Still almost beat the Vols. Hobbling around out there.
1: How dare you, sir? The man is not a starting quarterback in this league. And I don't believe he's going toe to toe, throw for throw for DTR and this UCLA offense. This is like, I would be completely surprised if this is even close. What's the number on this one? What's the spread?
0: Five and a half.
1: That's wild. DTR's playing. like he's not opting out. Uh, Zach Charbonnet is playing. I don't think there're really any opt outs uh, for UCLA in this one. I think they win this game and I think they went big.
0: Yeah, this is a bad draw for Pittsburgh because mm-hmm. um, I think just with how good the pac 12 was UCLA ended up being like the fifth or sixth best team out of the conference um, and getting the sun Bowl. But yeah, I agree completely. UCLA is just just too good. So um, not impressed with Pitt this year. Yeah, give me UCLA to win and cover. Um, keeping it move into the Tax Slayer Gator Bowl. Notre Dame and South Carolina. Notre Dame's a two-point favorite in this one. How do you see it going?
1: I always have a soft spot for this one, the Gator Bowl. Family in, in Jacksonville. We used to go growing up um, to Jacksonville around this time uh, for Christmas vacation. Uh, and
0: were they in the? Were they in that last year? Is that the Indiana game? Indiana Tennessee was that the? That was not last year. That was like
1: twenty nineteen. They were in it. That was twenty nineteen, I think.
0: Oh wait, who was it last year? Was it
1: Purdue? Purdue and Tennessee.
0: Was that the Tax Slayer Bowl or was that? that, No, that
1: wasn't Jacksonville. Like the Music City Bowl or something. I don't remember. I think that was Music City. That sounds right. I think it was in Nashville. No, Music.
0: Wait, that's a dumb question. Yeah, no, Music City is Nashville.
1: Yeah, it was Nashville. Memphis is what? Liberty.
0: Liberty Bowl. Okay. Yeah. I'm pretty sure
1: well, it was in Nashville Memphis. last year. What is Memphis? Is that
0: the, the blue city? Dash was <laughs> the music city? Is that... I thought Memphis had some sort of title like Beale that. Beale Street.
1: And then, uh, I mean, it's uh, not...
0: No, It's yeah. not important.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's a big building
0: with a lot of patience, but that's not <laughs> important right now.
1: Um... This is like it makes me feel good though because I feel like Notre Dame's been in this game a lot. I feel like South Carolina like owns this game like this and the Outback Bowl is just all South Carolina's ever been in. If they go to a bowl game, they're either in the Gator Bowl or the uh, the Outback Bowl. It Feels like those are the only two I've ever remember. Like remember South Carolina with the Jadavian Clowney hit on Michigan? That was yeah. the Outback Bowl. I just every memory I have of South Carolina football is just one of those two bowl games. Like in terms of bowl games.
0: It's a good point. They won 11 games three <laughs> years in a row. And I, did they go to the Outback Bowl every year? Like, I can't mm. even really uh, remember. Maybe the Capital One Bowl or something uh, sprinkled in there. But yeah, I think you're right. This is, this is, um, this isn't as good as it gets. South Carolina mm. has been better. But yeah, this is, this is about what they can expect year in, year out.
1: Well, they don't play often. And Notre Dame owns this robbery. I think they've only lost to South Carolina once ever. Um, this is the first time the two have played in 40 years. So that's pretty cool. Um, I think this will be a good turnout, uh, on both sides. Uh, obviously, uh, the quarterback for Notre Dame, uh, is now at, uh, Arizona state. I believe Drew Pine, uh, I guess Tyler Buckner is going to start for this one. Um, before our guy, Sam Hartman <laughs> just comes over. Maybe Sam Hartman can play quarterback, uh, for Notre Dame in this one, because that's no rules based on the Luke Fickle coaching the Wisconsin game. Uh, guys can just hop in and, and uh play this so we'll see um michael Mayer is not playing they're a uh, great uh, all-american-esque tight end uh for the fighting irish that's a problem i think the weirdest aspect of this game is that um <laughs> spencer rattler is gonna wait until after the bowl game like just to, that's when he's gonna make his decision based on how he plays what talent evaluator what nfl franchise is going look Spencer balls out against a Tyler Buckner led Notre Dame team in the in the Gator Bowl (laughs) that's when we know we can hand the keys this
0: changes everything (laughs) like
1: I saw that and I'm and I'm reading that Spencer is gonna wait and see how he plays in the bowl game and I'm like and the whole point of these guys opting out is because no NFL evaluators are taking that much into account on what these guys are doing in no, to be fair, games. I think
0: the reason most of them opt out is because they have nothing left to prove. Yeah. So the, it can work the opposite way that you can use it to, like some guys throw at the combine and they look really good and some guys are like, I don't have anything to prove, I'm not going to throw at the combine. So, I mean, it's not it's not completely that way. Like he, he could, and he's probably going to go to the portal, right? Like is he really going to go pro? He's probably, like he could have a good game here and it'd be like, a better team than he was expecting now wants him to play there. Like I, I don't know. It, it I can understand from an NFL perspective. I'm with you. Like I don't. This this one game isn't <laughs> going to change anything. But I don't. I don't know. I mean, I think it was more. I thought from his quote was like he loves Shane Beamer and he wants to finish what they started, kind of thing. Like more of a finishing the season type thing, which I respect.
1: Yeah, I just. I don't see it, man. I think this goes a ride, and I think uh, Notre Dame wins this one. I think this is going to be a weird, stupid game. I don't think the momentum continues on from the Clemson-Tennessee one. Um, Notre Dame's defense is good. I think Notre Dame wins and covers, but I think this is going to be an ugly, ugly game between Rattler and Tyler Buckner.
0: So you just said it, man. It's going to be a weird, stupid game, and you're picking Notre Dame to win? Mm Mm-hmm. It's going to be a weird, stupid, probably sloppy game because it feels like every game in the Gator Bowl, the field is just like torn up. I don't know what's <laughs> going on in Jacksonville. but
1: Hey, leave my family. It feels stuff, like I remember
0: yeah. Georgia played Penn State and Nebraska. Like, maybe they were in back-to-back years uh, with, um, with Mark Rick near the end. Mm-hmm. Um, and the field is just always just so sloppy. But um, no, I'm taking the Gamecocks. Shane Beamer, he's going to rally his guys. This game's not important, but it's not going to be a sign of how they finish this season. It's going to be what they do next year. Like the portal, they've already, like, I have no idea what Dick's expect from South Carolina this year, but something about Shane Beamer. I think he gets his rallies the troops. I think they win this game. Give me South Carolina.
1: How dare you? Well, we'll see.
0: Somebody's got to stand up for the Gamecocks on this podcast. You know, you're just constantly roasting them over here. I got. Got to get their back. Shane Beamer for doing a a
1: hell of a job. Couldn't be me.
0: Um, But let's keep it moving. Barstool Sports, Arizona Bowl, Tucson, Arizona. We got Ohio and Wyoming. They're like, Barstool, we'll we'll let you have a bowl game, but we're not going to give you a good bowl game. Uh, We're going to give you Ohio and Wyoming. And Ohio is a a one-and-a-half point favorite in this one. Bobcats have won seven of their last eight. Make it eight of the last nine. Give me the
1: Bobcats to win. This game sucks. I don't know if you go back and look. Um, I think this is the worst ball game, Matt Green. You go back through like <laughs> what, how teams are entering this one. Ohio, you picked them in the MAC title game. You're like, man, I I everything's coming up. For, everything's coming up. Ohio, Ohio Bobcat football. Like everyone's talking about Frank Solich's uh, the house that Frank Solich built over Everybody there. Everybody in-
0: I know is talking about
1: it. <laughs> yeah, and. They proceed to lose to Toledo and never win the Mac as they always have on the flip side the flippity flop Wyoming's best running back Titus Swin got dismissed from the team after the year they had seven players enter the portal um they ended poorly um I don't really they like, they have a two game losing streak right now. this is just ugly um I don't know this is they've only played twice or three twice in their. Uh, in their history, and Wyoming's won both. So give me Wyoming to go 3 and 0 against the Bobcats.
0: All right. Put it on the board. Wait, you said Wyoming, right? Oh, yeah. Wyoming. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Did I say Bobcats at the end? said NA?
0: against the Bobcats. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I just want to make sure I wrote it down right. Um, and our last one, our nightcap on the 30th, our first New Year's Six game. The orangest of Mm. all of the Orange Bowls. We got the Tennessee Volunteers and the Clemson Tigers. Clemson, surprising maybe to some, four and a half point favorite in this one. Uh, How do you see this one going,
1: sir? It's not a surprise when Jeremy Banks, Hendon Hooker, Cedric Tillman, Jalen Hyatt, Darnell Wright, are all not playing in this particular game. It's a lot of bodies, uh, a lot of important bodies not accounted for. Two of the three main starters out wide are not playing in this one. That's a problem. Um, another problem is DJ Uangale is not under center for the Clemson Tigers, Matt Green. I think that line might be a little bit different if it's uh, DJ under center for Clemson. Now, it's Cade Klebnick, and the last time we saw him... He was roasting uh, the North Carolina Tar Heels um, in the ACC title game, so I think that's a very different part of it. I think it's just anyone who says they know how this game's going to go are silly. We don't know what a full start of K. Klubnik looks like after a month uh, to prepare. We don't know what Joe Milton's going to look like um, in this one. We don't know uh, what Tennessee's defense is going to look like without Jeremy Banks. The last time we saw Tennessee's defense without Jeremy Banks, it was a massacre uh, at at South Carolina. this is probably the healthiest the secondary's been uh, all year for Tennessee, which is huge because they've been just ridiculously destroyed there. Um, I think the pass rush will be good in this one. I don't think Clemson will... I, I'm curious. I think the matchup to watch is Will Shipley versus uh, this Tennessee front seven because Tennessee's run defense has been one of the 20-ish best run defenses in college football this year. And if they're able to limit Will Shipley and make uh, k Nick beat them, I'm uh, I'm not certain they can do so. Um, but we're going to see what Joe Milton looks like on deep throws. We're going to see how much, uh, underneath stuff Clemson allows, uh, Tennessee to do here. Uh, I think Murphy is out for the tigers, which is huge, um, for them. So I think the pass rush might not be all that devastating. Uh, still a lot of talent there, but, uh, big time NFL talent, not going to be rushing the passer for the Tigers. So I think if we get a good Joe Milton game, like the Vanderbilt game, then Tennessee wins and wins big. If we get the opposite, I think Clemson uh, wins big. So I've gone back and forth on this one. (sighs) I think this game just means more to Tennessee is what I come down to. It's like Clemson's just used to being a playoff team year over year. And like you're still in a New York six game, but you're – this is not where you wanted to be for the year. If you just take care of business in South Carolina, you're probably in the college football playoff. I don't think probably. I think you're back in. But you you let things uh, slip because you stuck with DJU for a little bit too long, and it cost you uh, in the rivalry game and another chance at winning another title. I just I think that might linger for this team, and you wonder. Okay, well Tennessee also missed. Tennessee is Joe Milton is a guy like he's a hometown guy. Uh, a lot of family will be and friends will be at this game. Uh, a local Miami kid. And he has a lot to prove because they've said um, Joey Halsey and this Tennessee staff is like, it's an open competition in the spring between Joe Nico and Taven Jackson. Like Joe is not walking in as just like the entrenched starter. It's a going to be an open, open competition. He is a lot to prove. There's no open competition for Clemson and Kate Clubnick He's the guy going into next year. Joe Milton has to show in this game that he can be the next guy and follow hooker and nail those deep balls at Hinden hooker. Um, just destroy defenses with because the underneath stuff he has in the million uh, hour mile an hour fastball that he throws can he reel that in a little bit and can he just play an ultimate complete football game that we just became so used to with Hendon Hooker how much does he run with the football because he's so much bigger <laughs> than Hendon Hooker is he going to be able to just pound this Clemson defense is he going to actually use his legs and just bury uh, this Clemson defense I'm curious to see how much how many design runs they have for him there uh, no Alex Golish Obviously, he takes the USF job. I wonder how much that changes things. doesn't seem like all that much. But all that being said, I think Joe has too much to prove. So I'm going to bet on Joe. And I'm going to say that he has a great game. And Tennessee wins and covers, like, I'm going to say 45-27, mm. Tennessee.
0: You think Joe Milton and Tennessee are putting up 45 on this Clemson defense?
1: Let me go through the list of teams that Tennessee did not put a lot of points on. Matt Green this season. Hey,
0: we're we're talking Joe Milton. This is a this is a whole new ball game. I think this line is has a lot less to do with Klubnik versus uh, DJU and a lot more to do with Joe Milton and all the other players that are well. I should say Hinnan Hooker and all the other players that are missing for Tennessee. I think mm-hmm. it's just hard to know exactly what you're going to get from Tennessee in this one. And I don't think there's any complacent I don't think complacency will be an issue for Clemson just because Club Nick it's like a new thing. So it's like this this start it almost feels like the start of the 2023 season and like what they could potentially be moving forward. So I don't necessarily think that'll be an issue. Um it's hard it's hard to know exactly what you're getting from Cle- from from Tennessee in this one with so many guys out. And um, just for that reason, I got to go Clemson to to win this one and cover. So gonna go with the other orange team to win the Orange Bowl in this one. So do we know the uniform combo for this for this game yet?
1: Yeah, Tennessee's wearing orange top and white pants, and I think Clemson's wearing uh, all white.
0: So it's white, orange, white versus
1: white, white, white or white. Or orange pants i think tennessee or clemson's wearing orange pants
0: oh okay. orange white orange okay yeah. so white orange white verse orange white, white orange, orange white perfect yeah. that's the yeah. perfect combo we needed so both teams basically look the exact same on our tv <laughs> like cool just reversed um they should have brought, brought the uh the smoky grays for this one but
1: uh or clemson wore ha- when was the last time they wore the purple
0: or Clemson go all orange and Tennessee go all white. Like, that would have been a better option. But, you know, what can you do? When
1: did Clemson last wear the purple? I feel like I haven't seen it in forever.
0: They, I'm pretty sure they did it one year this year because it's did like they? a military appreciation thing they do. Like, mm. pretty much every year it's just like one game. And, like, maybe it's Veterans Day or, or one of those days, like in November or October or something. But, um, yeah, I don't know exactly what game they rocked them for this year. But, yeah, that's mm. a good point. Clemson could have busted out the purple for this one, too. Um just so it's not the orangest orange bowl ever, but I'm afraid that's what we're gonna have. So
1: where's Chauncey Stunky when you need him?
0: I know that name. Who is that? Is that that's Stuckey? That's the dude who played for the Pistons.
1: You're thinking of Rodney Stucky. Rodney
0: Stuckey. Chauncey Who's-
1: Stucky was a legend and Northside Warner Robbins, uh, quarterback, and then he was a receiver. At uh, Clemson, and I remember him ah, in the purple for those Clemson okay. uniforms, early Roddy. 2000. Yeah, Chauncey Stuckey.
0: Rod. I think of D- CJ eight. Spiller when I think yeah. of the uh, the purple unison and James James Davis in
1: that. Woody Dantzler.
0: There you go, going way back. I think of the shadow numbers when I think of Woody Dantzler, Charlie mm-hmm. Whitehurst. Mm-hmm. Uh, but let's keep it moving and not just name old Clemson <laughs> players uh, like we could do for days. Men love doing it. All uh, men Gaines want to do is sit Adams, around naming if you people. Will. Yeah. Um, the Trans Perfect Music City Bowl in Nashville, which is indeed Music City. If you've if you learn anything from this podcast, <laughs> it's that Nashville is Music City. And you said Ohio, Wyoming was bad. This may be the worst bowl game we get. Iowa and Kentucky over under 31 points (laughs) in this game. No joke. Um, Iowa is a two-point favorite in this one. How do you see it going?
1: Uh, Ugly. Um, uh, (laughs) There's continuity, I guess, um, with Iowa here because uh, their coaching staff is mostly intact for this one um rich gangarello obviously fired and liam cohen coming sooner right and later um will levis is not playing in this one for kentucky um spencer petrus and alex badia are not number one and number two uh, are not available so um they're gonna go with a red shirt freshman who's never uh started a game and played in his first game joe i don't even know how to pronounce his name joe Labas. joe Labas. um man this is like you said this is just gonna be so ugly uh, across the board. So, I mean, I don't – I'm going to say Iowa wins in this kind of ugly game and this defense does enough to beat Kentucky like 19-16. I think this is just going to be an absolute slot fest, but I think that benefits Iowa more. So give me the Hawkeyes to win here. 19-16,
0: 19-16, that's quite the shootout you're, uh, <laughs> you're expecting. Hammering mm-hmm. the over. Um, I don't know. I don't, I'm not sure they will go over the 31. It's, I feel like it's going to be really ugly, and Will Levis feels like without Will Levis, it's probably going to get Kentucky's offense is going to be even uglier than normal. Um, Kentucky's won four straight bowl games, on, and four and two in bowl games under Mark Stoops. So I think that matters. It may not, but we shall see. And I'm going to take Kentucky for that reason. So we are going to disagree on that one, sir. And our final game of our slate, until next time. We still got a few bowl games to pick next podcast. Uh, We got the All-State Sugar Bowl in New Orleans, Alabama, Kansas State. Bama's a a six-and-a-half-point favorite in
1: this one.
0: How do you see it going?
1: I love that everyone's playing in this one, Matt Green. This is uh, this is fun. I'm glad that like Bryce Young and Will Anderson and company are playing. Like this is going to be intense. Like you're going to get the Will Howard uh, Deuce Vaughn versus um, uh, Will Anderson and Dallas Turner and company. I'm I'm curious to see how this goes because basically, you're if Kansas State runs the football for like 200 yards, they win this game. I think they're like seven and zero this year. When what is the stat? They're seven and zero when they run for 199 yards or more. Um, No one's gotten past 80 yards in the ground versus uh, Alabama this season. I think Alabama crushes Kansas State. I think they're motivated. I think they're pissed off. They blew out their rival to end the season. Kansas State won their Super Bowl. They beat TCU in the Big 12 title game. Three straight bowls for Chris Kleiman. He's doing a great job. We both like Will Howard. I think this gets ugly uh, in a hurry, and I think uh, Alabama goes out strong here. uh, Let me go. 48... To twenty-one, crimson tide.
0: Mm, see, I want to dis. I feel like I disagree with you on how the game's gonna go. Mm. So I want to pick differently, but ultimately, I'm picking the same thing as you. If this was seven and a half, I think mm. I would go Kansas State because so many of the like not even good teams Alabama's played. Just anyone that's above average, Alabama's played this year has been a one score game just about. So mm-hmm. I think this Kansas State team is a good team ever since Will Howard took over, they're a balanced attack. I think Kansas State does keep it close, but less than a touchdown, I can't do that. So mm. I, I I was prepared to take Kansas State to cover. I was kind of surprised that the spread was just six and a half. I was kind of preparing, like thinking like a nine and a half or something like that. But um, I think six and a half is too small. So I got to take Alabama to win that one.
1: Hmm. But okay. I think
0: Kansas State, I think Kansas State hangs with them because I mean Alabama just hasn't blown out just about anybody this year. So it's it's I like that at least the the starters are playing and they're kind of they, they're showing some pride kind of thing and finishing out this season. But um I think Kansas State's a, a a good team. I don't
1: think they should be overlooked. Okay. All right. Matt Green, is that it? Do we do so it?
0: That's our slate uh for the games through the thirty-first. Um, I think we're coming back with the pot on the first. So we'll recap the the CFP and then a handful of games after that. But um, to update the listeners on the current standings, your boy made up some ground over here in the standings. Mm. You did not have a great showing uh, from December 27th to December 28th. Not your, not your best showing. I went four uh seven and one against uh overall six and two against the spread you however went just five and three overall and Mm. two and six against the spread so not necessarily what you want uh from your picks but (laughs) overall we are tied 17 and nine uh, but against the spread, I am 15, 10, and 1 to your 12, 13, and 1. So still close, uh, and we're obviously tied overall. So um, only about 80 bowl games left to play. No, it's about like, I don't know, is it 10, 15 games we got left? It looks like so 17 games left. So still some, still some time remaining. This is uh, This is probably the best weekend for all of it. Hate when Christmas is on a Sunday. Just totally throws everything off. We didn't have NFL on Sunday. We had some NFL, but it was weird. And now we don't have college football on January 1st. It's just, it's madness. I don't like it. I like I like my Capital One Bowl, my Outback Bowl to start at 11 a.m., 1 o'clock on January 1st and keep things moving from there. But you know, what do I know?
1: Hey, Matt Green has spoken. Um, it's going to be a good lineup though. This is going to be a good, good football watching weekend, my friend. Um, and we got, uh, some big games to recap on Sunday night. So yeah, it is awesome.
0: Most people, a lot of people have off on, on Friday. I know I have off on Friday, so it's nice to have a a solid slate on, on Friday and Saturday for college football. So I I will not be complaining about that.
1: Absolutely not. Even though you're rooting against the Tennessee volunteers on Friday evening with your Clemson Tigers, McRae.
0: Yeah, you know it's uh, that was a tough one for me, but um, I had to go with the orange I dislike the least, and I think ultimately the lesser of two evils is is the Clemson Tigers. Mm. I mean that what do you call it the 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 push pop orange is that what people call it like it's just oh it's just it's just a terrible color. That i was guy. impressed with my with my niece this weekend and we were coloring in a little coloring book she's five years old and mm-hmm. she had like her crayons out and i was like you know which color i don't want and she was <laughs> like orange and i was like yes you're learning things so gotta teach them young you know that orange is just not acceptable
1: For that guy down there in Tequila, Georgia, Matt Green, for myself up here in Knoxville, Tennessee, everything's cool, HQ, that is all I've got, and we will be back on Saturday night. Yes, sir. This has been Ingram, radio voice of the Atlanta Braves, and I'm here to tell you that you've reached the end of today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast. As a friend of the podcast, I'd like to say thank you for listening to today's episode and hope you return for the next one. To show your support for the program, tell a friend or coworker, or even a family member about the program. And if you're an Apple Podcast listener, leave the show a rating and a review. It goes a long way. That'll do it for me. But don't forget to listen to myself and the rest of the team at 680 The Fan and the Braves Radio Network this season. Go Braves! Chase, I think I'm going to hear more about you. I really do. I think you've got a way about you, that you're interviewing. Mm-hmm. You're, um,